I actually don't think you have a unique purpose. I think you have the same purpose as me. Now, I think you are unique and God has put unique things into your life that he intends to use in a way that only you will walk out. But your purpose, like the reason for your existence is the very person of God, as he says in Isaiah 43, he says, these are my people who I formed for myself. That Jesus looks at every one of his followers and he doesn't um, look at this disciple and that one and give them different instructions. He just says, follow me. And of course, as they follow him, he is faithful to give them specific directions about how they walk out that purpose. But generally, I would say we all have one singular purpose that should be driving us, that we exist for the person of God, that we should be fully at his disposal. God, I exist for you to one, enjoy you, but also to obey you. Have you ever heard the phrase, dream big, set big goals, big plans? Have you ever been exhausted by that? Have you ever been exhausted from dreaming big and trying to chase an extraordinary life? Have you ever tried to just embrace the everyday and find meaning in the mundane? And when you do that, you think, am I settling? Am I settling for a life of mediocrity, of boring, mundane? Well, my guest today is going to help us with all of that. She is author and Bible teacher, Kelly Needham, and her latest book, Purpose Fooled, focuses on this simple but vital truth. We weren't made to do something, but to know someone. It's that someone who can infuse your life with hope and with joy and with peace. Who wouldn't want that? I'm Carol McLeod, and I'm your host on the Significant Women Podcast. I try to bring you guests who are going to enhance your life and encourage you to know Jesus better. No matter what your circumstances might be, use them as the framework to abide in Him and to know Him in His fullness. Kelly Needham is going to help us with that today. Well, as you know, I'm here with Kelly today, Kelly Needham, who has a new book out. But first, we're just going to talk about Kelly and who she <laughs> is and what she does and what's important to her. So Kelly, you're a mom of five and I am too. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your family. Mm, okay. Well, my kids right now range from the ages of 12 down to one. So we're in the really fun, busy season a lot of imaginative play, a lot of board games. I've got two girls. My oldest two are girls, and then the younger three are boys. Two of them are adopted, actually, from India. And so we have a lot of Indian cooking that goes on in our house, a lot of chai in the afternoon, you know, things like that. So they're so fun. We have a, a really uh, sweet unity as a family and enjoy our time off together when they're not in school. So I'm just really thankful. Big families are so fun. So that I didn't know you had five kids. That's awesome. I do. But mine is just flipped from yours. I have three boys and then two girls. Oh, so yeah. yeah. So it's great you have two girls first because then they can help mm -hmm. you take care of the little ones. That they maternal do. instinct sort of kicks <laughs> in, doesn't it? It does. They're they're great little moms. And then sometimes I have to tell them, hold on, I am here. Mom <laughs> is actually here. So I know. take a break, you know. 
but they are, especially with our youngest, our little baby. They, it's been so neat to watch them take care of him. Yeah. I know. I remember those years, Kelly. It's sort of a sweet conundrum because you you need the older ones to help you out, but you don't mm-hmm. need them to help you parent. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there's that tension there. So tell us about the little boys that you adopted from India. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, adoption had always been on my heart, my husband's heart, and we had never really seen it modeled. We didn't have it in our families. So the fact that we both really felt this unique interest in adoption when we met and we were dating, we both assumed, well, that's from the Lord and must be, you know, something he has for us. So we'd always supported missionaries in India. We'd prayed for the country and had done even some travel around the world and seen just some of the just horrific situations in other parts of the world. It just broke our hearts. So that's where we ended up leaning up, leaning into as far as adoption. And both of those boys at different times came home and into our family around two. They were two years old when they um came into our home and at different times, I think like four years apart. So they're not biological brothers, but brothers by adoption now. So um, very sweet stories. I feel honored to get to bear witness to the, the what God is writing into their lives in hard ways and in really beautiful ways. So it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Adoption was really God's idea. I mean, we're adopted mm-hmm. into his family. So thank you for sharing mm. your adoption story. How incredible mm. is that? Mm-hmm. But now, okay. So now, Kelly, tell us about your hubby. What does your husband do? Well, right now he's a pastor at our church. He's the worship and teaching pastor at our local church. So he's either preaching like this this week. He's working on a sermon, so he'll be preaching on Sunday at our church, and underneath the you know, and with partnership of our lead pastor. And then the other Sundays he's leading worship usually. So that's what he's doing now. But for many years of our marriage, he was a traveling and touring singer songwriter. Uh, signed to a record label in Nashville, and that was a the first like ten years of our marriage was doing that together. Kind of, I did the business side of things, the behind the scenes side of things while he was recording albums and touring. And so, yeah, now we're a little more grounded, which is actually really wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, I had read that about you, that you and your husband traveled. It's a hard industry to be in, honestly, but um, one in which, you know, God clearly led and directed us there and uh, saw a lot of fruit from just being faithful to the gospel and trying to walk faithfully with Jesus behind the scenes in all those different spaces. So it's a sweet season, a hard one in a lot of ways, but a good one. Yeah. One of the lessons I've learned, Kelly, is that faithfulness and diligence really do usher in a particular blessing from the Lord when we Mm -hmm. just stay faithful and diligent to the call and to his plan. um, What grows is really a beautiful thing, even through difficult seasons in life. So I love what you just shared. Mm -hmm. But Kelly, I want to talk about your new book. I Mm -hmm. love, love, love the title. The name of the book is Purpose Fooled, and I'm going to read the subtitle, (laughs) Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. Sister, you are swimming totally upstream with this book. (laughs) Talk to us. Why did you write this book? Well, I really wrote a book that I needed, if I'm being honest. It was a topic that I wrestled with through all those ups and downs that I even just mentioned, being kind of the behind the scenes arm of my husband's ministry in those early years. You know, it really felt like, well, he's doing the important, significant work. And here I am, you know, folding t-shirts and doing things that booking travel doesn't feel as meaningful and had just some wrestle in my heart about that. And then I had a season where I was doing some writing and did some ministry to church and then had more children and went back into the mundanity of just little, little lots of littles at home, you know. 
And through all of that, uh, realized there's a problem in how I think about my life because I'm seeing that I feel like life is really meaningful only when I get to do the particular type of tasks that I enjoy, that I feel good at. And then all these other seasons feel uh, like I'm benched, you know, and God doesn't bench anyone. <laughs> uh, when you're his, he intends to work in and through you, you know, abide in me and you will bear fruit. It's a promise. And so I really wrestled with these ideas and then even was seeing kind of a cultural emphasis, even within our some of our Christian spaces, to go do big things for God. And at the same time was realizing not everybody even has the opportunity to do that. That really is a place of privilege to get to choose to go chase an extraordinary thing. You know, um, I was I had friends and family members who were caregivers to children or to their yeah. parents or uh, dealing with diagnoses or disabilities. It's like, well... That's like a full-time job right there to just weather a storm like that. So then what do you do with this kind of big call that feels real awesome? Go do big things for God. It's like, and what even is a big thing? You know, are we even defining it the right way? So I just began to search the scriptures to find really freedom for myself in my own wrestle mm -hmm. and began to see the truths of the word really stabilize me and infuse my life with joy and purpose all the time. And that's really what I, I wanted to share in this book is give the same sort of hope and stability to people in the midst of a world that's sending us a lot of messages about what makes our life meaningful. Yeah. You know, you and I are in different seasons of life because of course my children are grown and gone. They left me the nerve of those kids. <laughs> but, um, Kelly, when I look back at my life, I, it's not the days where I signed a book deal or I spoke to thousands or was on TV that I want to relive. Mm -hmm. The days that I want to relive are when I was changing diapers and making grilled cheese mm -hmm. sandwiches and putting the word of God in my children's hearts. Mm -hmm. um, at my season in life, as you look back over the scope of what God's done, those are the red letter days. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. are the days of majesty. Um, so I just have loved the title of your book and the content of it. Um, one of the questions I wanted to talk to you about, what would you say to a woman whose life hasn't turned out the way she thought it would? Like, what would mm. you say to a woman who's dealing with some circumstantial mm -hmm. disappointment? Yeah. Well, I would say you're in good company with uh, the people that surround Jesus. If you watch who is drawn to him, it's a lot of people with failure or disappointment or circumstances beyond their control that just were uh, unfortunate for one reason or another. Um, and you're you're in good company to be following Jesus. Uh, he really is what makes life meaningful. And that means that even if we achieved everything we ever wanted, even if your life was reversed and you, you had achieved it all, just like you said, you'll realize at the top of that mountain named achievement, there really isn't anything there. I mean, that's really what I think is the message of the book of Ecclesiastes in our Bibles. A man who accomplished and achieved it all and looks around and goes, there's nothing here, nothing more than what was at the very bottom of the mountain. That really a person with great achievement and great failure both have within their grasp the same access to meaning and purpose and fulfillment because the same God is in both locations. And uh, when we see him as our purpose, um, our activity, our successes and our failures don't have the ability to steal from us uh, our joy and our peace anymore because it's not about what we do. It's about what he has done and is doing. 
And as we bind ourselves to him, even with maybe the brokenness and failure we bring, he will even turn failure and disappointment into something fruitful if we'll give it to him. And uh, it's just that's such great news. It takes the pressure off of us having to make sure our life turns out exactly how we want it. Jesus never tells us to do that. He just says, stick close to me. Just follow me. Just abide in me. That's it. Just stay close to me with all the success and failure you bring. And I promise I will make it fruitful. And gosh, again, that's so freeing and relieving. But Kelly, what would you say to a young woman, recent college graduate, who's got all these dreams, all this vision of what she wants to accomplish for the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to that girl with a pocket full of dreams? <laughs> well, I, I honestly would say go for it. I mean, it's it's wonderful to have the energy, the the freedom in your schedule if you're if you're not yet married or have kids to just go chase things. And uh, there's a lot of um, opportunity in that that's worth using for the kingdom of God. So long as you know that even if you accomplished everything, it wouldn't be enough. If you think that uh, accomplishing or achieving something, even for the kingdom, is going to give you a sense of identity or a sense of purpose or fulfillment, then you are sorely mistaken and it will disappoint you. You'll get to the other side of accomplishing that and wonder, why do I still not feel satisfied? I need more. I need bigger success. I need another thing. Or you'll chase it and maybe fail. Maybe it won't come to fulfillment. Maybe uh, circumstances unforeseen by you will enter in and derail your plans and you'll feel frustrated by that. Uh, so I think it is wonderful to have the, the dreams, the ability to, to chase them down. And I think we have all freedom to follow Jesus if he so leads us into doing that. So long as we know uh, we have to be fulfilled and with a sense of purpose before we even step out onto the field to try and do those things. Because that's those are things we're meant to do for others, not for ourselves. If any part of us is going, this will help me find meaning, then it's it's just going to fail us. So that's why I even was careful about how I titled the subtitle of my book, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, Reaching for, for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. It's not that they're wrong to do. It's just that your heart was actually made for something bigger than that, bigger than accomplishment. You were made for the very person of God, the eternal, you know, galaxy designing, snowflake creating. I mean, he is so big and vast. Our hearts are not satisfied with anything less. And really, a great dream for the kingdom is awesome, but it's too small. It's too small for our hearts. We actually need something more than that. We need the person of God. And if we're not satisfied with him now when we've done nothing, and achieved nothing, we won't be satisfied when we achieve all of it. And so that's my caution even to uh, college students in my own life is, yes, dream big for God, but just make sure you have that warning in your heart. It will never be enough for me. I need to find that God is enough for me right now. And from that place of satisfaction, pour out for the sake of others and then be free if it doesn't work out how I want, knowing that that can't steal from me the very thing I need. Yeah, so powerful, so true. Now let's talk to moms for a minute, Kelly. That's the Mm. season of life you're in. So Mm -hmm. I know I was raised in this culture. I probably raised my children in this culture. I try to be a little bit careful with my grandchildren. I have 10 grandchildren. But when we look at our children's faces, look at their little clear, bright eyes, see their potential, wonder about their gifts and talents, is this the wrong question to ask? Is it wrong to ask them? What do you want to be when you grow up? 
Oh, that's, you know, I think there's a better question. I don't know if okay. I would say it's wrong, um, but I think there's a better question to ask. I think instead of asking, what do we want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? We could ask, uh, what do you think God has designed you to contribute to the world? Or what do you think mm -hmm. you're good at? What do you think uh, you would like to contribute? I mean, th even the word contribute to me is intentional to help my children see God has done some unique things in you and he means that to be a blessing to others. Whereas the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, really is about your own identity and a sense of self-actualization. You know, oh, I would love to be an astronaut. It's like, maybe, but you might not have the capacity or the skill set to do that thing, and that may set you up for disappointment. Whereas what I'm trying to do with my children is uh, look at them and try to discern uh, things I, I see forming in them. I see a unique compassion for the poor. One of my children has made you know, bags for the homeless in our city just to keep in the car, used her own money to do it. It's like, wow, you have a unique compassion. I want to speak that into you and just go, what do you, and help you dream about that. What might God yeah. be doing in you to contribute to the, to the community he puts you in? Uh, one of my other children is, has that same compassion toward her peers, you know, in her school. Like there's just a evangelistic nature even coming out in her as she hears about hard situations happening to her friends and she's buying them Bibles. It's like, all right, I'm trying to identify what's already forming and help you have vision for how that might contribute to the kingdom. But if I were to ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? They may name all number of things. And it's usually going to be things that they see celebrated culturally, which is why the yes. average response to that question right now is YouTube star. If you ask kids, that's statistically the thing because that's what they're seeing. But that's such a, sure, could we contribute that way? Do I have a YouTube channel and I hope that it has blessed people? Yes. But there are so many more ways to bless a community and use your life to contribute to the good of others. But it sometimes takes me casting that vision for them and even helping them see how they're even wired and what God might be doing in them and entrusting them with. So yeah, I think there's a better, better way to talk about that. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, now let's go to this. Oh, I just see women who are trapped in the world of comparison and in the yes. world of social media, and they get their self-esteem from likes or shares. Um, how does social media, how has social media contributed to our confusion about what our purpose in Christ might be? Yeah. Well, you know, it's setting before our eyes something. And anytime we're beholding something, uh, there's a transformative effect that's happening. I think you see the principle of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about, you know, as we behold the Lord, we become more like him from one degree of glory to the next. What we behold, we become like. What we look at is where we will, we will lean in that direction. We will move our actions in that direction. And so social media is putting before our eyes so many different images and things, other people's lives. But not the whole of their life, because the whole of somebody's life is generally pretty boring. Most of us are, you know, our lives are full of dishes and laundry, just like the next person and responding to emails and making sure we get a good night's sleep. And none of that looks very cool on social media. And so all that we're seeing generally online is kind of the highlight reel of, of our lives, the things that make sense to post online. And so that will, that's curating for us a type of, okay, that's success. That's 
significant. That's where uh, a sense of purpose comes from. And then we start to walk in that direction and we start to give more weight to things that look like that in our lives and maybe less weight to the things that aren't very Instagrammable. <laughs> mm. And um, that's dangerous because if you read the scriptures, the way that God is advancing his kingdom through people is oftentimes through pretty ordinary moments of faithfulness, of uh, staying close to Jesus, of just obedience. And if you were to take an iPhone with you to parts of uh, the moments in the Bible, it wouldn't have much for you to post. You know, Abraham being faithful to God for 26 years before Isaac is born, just waiting on God would be a pretty boring Instagram account to follow. But yet Abraham through the whole rest of the scriptures is like this key figure that we see, you know, all the way into Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. God is so impressed with Abraham and his yeah. boring, faithful, waiting life to wait on God. And of course, we know he didn't do it perfect. But um, social media is just, it's, uh, it's training our imagination to, uh, in ways that I think are unhelpful. And we really have to do work now to kind of take it back from social media and go, this is not the only thing that matters. The things that, are, that I could post online, sure, God can work through those. But there's a whole, a whole rest of my life that's unseen. It's just as significant to God, maybe more significant. And just because no one else sees it doesn't mean it's not true. And uh, it just has, it's requiring a new type of work for us, I think, as Christians that maybe we're not used to doing yet. We're really having to exercise a type of self-control and uh, taking thoughts captive in some new ways. Mm. And uh, I don't think everybody's even doing that. That's kind of the, so much of social media can have kind of a Christian influence in it as well in a good way. But again, uh, it can just tempt us to think, even as Christians, this is the way we change the world is through these significant looking things. It's like, well, what if he wants to change the world through that conversation you had with your kid or your neighbor or your prayer life and what you're yeah. interceding for? Uh, no one's seeing that. You're not posting that online. But that may be what God is looking at in your life and going, that's the big stuff right there. Uh, we just have to retrain ourselves and how to think in a new way in this kind of era that we live in. Yeah, I think that's why I've always loved the story of Ruth in the Bible, because she mm. didn't part a Red Sea or spend a night with Lion's Den or save an entire nation. She was just faithful and kind. Mm. Um, she just served the Lord in, in small ways. And so to me, that's the kind of woman I want to be. Well, we'll get back to Kelly's story in just a minute. And boy, I'm being convicted, aren't you? As I hear Kelly speak about knowing Christ. And there's no better way to know him than through the sacred pages of scripture. That's why I write Bible studies, so that women will fall in love with the word of God. And my newest book is titled Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God. It's a Bible study on the book of 1 Peter. And I can guarantee you that this Bible study will help you pause in your normal life and set your heart and your gaze on Jesus because he is timeless. The word of God is living and enduring and holds everything that we need to know him today. So I hope that you'll buy a copy, Timeless. Maybe consider doing it in your book club, small group, Bible study, Sunday school class. It's the type of book where you buy the book, 
but you can also download the video teachings to enhance it all. So you can go to my website, carolmccloudministries.com, or it's on Amazon. I'd love for you to buy a copy of Timeless and fall in love with Jesus all over again. And now let's get back to my conversation with Kelly Needham. Through my life, Kelly, I've, I've wrestled with some things. I, I think it's healthy to wrestle. Do you think that there's one driving purpose that a woman, a man might have one thing that the mm-hmm. Lord has called you to, or, or do you think the, the will of God, the plan of God is maybe a little bit different than that? Let's wrestle mm-hmm. with that for a minute. Yeah. I think so much of how we talk about this will largely depend on our definitions of things. <laughs> um, because I will say, I think you and I, and we'll just take us, for example, Carol, you and me, I think we each have one overarching purpose for our lives. And I actually think it's the same purpose. I think that each one of us living and breathing has one purpose. And our purpose is a person. Our purpose is the very person of God. That that is something that that I would, you know, I've told people when I was doing interviews for this book, hey, here's my thesis for this book. I actually don't think you have a unique purpose. I think you have the (laughs) same purpose as me. Now, I think you are unique and God has put unique things into your life that he intends to use in a way that only you will walk out. But your purpose, like the reason for your existence is the very person of God. As he says in Isaiah 43, he says, these are my people who I formed for myself. That Jesus looks at every one of his followers and he doesn't um, look at this disciple and that one and give them different instructions. He just says, follow me. And of course, as they follow him, he is faithful to give them specific directions about how they walk out that purpose. But generally, I would say we all have one singular purpose that should be driving us, that we exist for the person of God, that we should be fully at his disposal. God, I exist for you to one, enjoy you, but also to obey you. And if you choose to send me this direction or that direction, amen, Lord, let it be. So are there smaller purposes? Some people will say, you know, I do have a unique calling from God. And I'm not saying you don't. I would just say the primary calling you have is to the Lord. And that's something you can live out from childhood to the deathbed, even when you don't have the ability to contribute anything. If you really are, you know, I think about Corey Ten Boom. I don't know how many of your listeners would be familiar with her, but in the end of her life, she suffered a stroke and spent, I think, about four years of her life bedridden without the ability to contribute in all the meaningful ways she had been. But I would say she had not lost her purpose. Her purpose remained the same. Her purpose was the Lord. And she was fully at his disposal. And if that was to do the unique work of ministry, speaking to people, telling her story, or if that was to receive care with kindness and grace, mm-hmm. amen, Lord, I'm yours. I'm at your disposal. I live my life with you and for you. Um, so I would say <laughs> we do have one unique or one specific overarching purpose for our lives. It's actually the same as every other person's. And I find that actually really freeing that I no longer have to search deep down and figure out how, you know, what is the unique thing God's called me to do? He'll let me know what he wants me to do. And really all of my life is utterly unique because there's only one me and only one mom to my kids and one wife to my husband. And, you know, my life is is so wholly unique, but yet my purpose remains the same as does yours. We exist for him. Yeah. Just to know Christ. Um, and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, Mm -hmm. but to know him. Um, 
So Kelly, yet still we wrestle. And I totally agree with you. Yes. To know him, to worship him, um, to, to be grateful for who he mm-hmm. is and what he's done in our lives, to walk with him, to, to breathe in mm-hmm. his fragrance, his radiance while we're traveling through a broken mm-hmm. culture in a broken world. And yet it seems to me like on the inside of most of us, there's still this call, this cry, mm-hmm. this desire to do something extraordinary, memorable, long-lasting mm-hmm. for the unshakable kingdom of Christ. So Kelly, how much of that do you believe is God-given and how much of it is culture-induced? Hmm. I think that that kind of deep ache to leave a lasting impact to do something great, I think is actually God-given. I think that longing is. Uh the reason I think that is because the disciples come to Jesus and ask about who's the greatest. They have those kinds of questions. And Jesus does not despise the question. He answers it honestly, and he answers it clearly, which tells me uh, that's a good question. He doesn't look at them and say, stop being so worldly. You're asking the wrong question. He says, I'll tell you exactly who the greatest in the kingdom are. So he's he's for us living in ways that... Uh, are doing great things. So I, I would say that that kind of ache and longing in us is good. I don't think God wants to uh, silence that. But I think we tend to define what greatness is, what memorable activity is, uh, what significant extraordinary living is by worldly standards. And I just don't think God's definitions are the same as ours. I think... No. Uh, If you were to ask, if we, if Jesus could walk in the room, we could ask him, "What is the most extraordinary thing a human being has ever done?" I don't know what he would say, but it would not be what we expect. I mean, I think of him in the temple watching people give these large donations, and he looks at the widow giving her little cents. It says that's what he's impressed by. So clearly, Jesus is impressed by some things over others, and even commends us to live to do the impressive thing. Yes, do the impressive thing. Do the extraordinary thing. But we have to be careful that we're not borrowing from the world's definitions of that. You know, the world wants to do the big visible scene thing. I mean, I think of the Tower of Babel. Talk about extraordinary. If we saw the whole world right now working together to accomplish something, not fighting wars anymore, no one's killing each other, we're just building something, we would go, wow, that seems like such great success. And that's what's happening in Genesis, you know, with the Tower of Babel. And God is not impressed. He's just not impressed with the things that we are. He sees differently than we do. I think uh, some of the greatest work of our lives is probably work that we don't give the, the same weight to. You know, I think about Joseph in Genesis, who has this moment where he is approached by Potiphar's wife. I mean, just someone throwing themselves on him. Just talk about that sexual temptation. And he's in a foreign land. He's not even with the people of God, you know, the he could have easily compromised in that moment. And instead, he really does fight for holiness and purity just in the privacy of, I know God sees me. <laughs> and that, I think, is one of the greatest works in Joseph's life, is, is that very moment of self-control and resistance. And what does it get him? It gets him thrown in prison. The yeah. fruit of that great work is actually hiddenness and obscurity. And it makes me wonder for my own life sometimes, God, Maybe the greatest work in my life may be something that actually pulls me into obscurity and hiddenness. 
And I need to make sure that I'm not valuing my life in the world's ways. Um, you know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing in John 15. Well, that means a lot of what we're seeing in the world around us is really shiny looking nothing because mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of really impressive things apart from Christ that are not walking mm-hmm. with God, but yet are starting companies and have millions of followers online and seem to really be impacting people. And Jesus says in the final analysis, it will be shown to be air, nothing. So it's just his definitions are so different than ours. So it's not that we shouldn't want to leave an impact. I think if someone feels that deep sense of, I want my life to count for the kingdom. I don't want to just live a mundane humdrum life. I want to really make an impact. Amen. Yes, do that. But make sure you are taking your definitions from his word and from him and not from the world and and let him shape for you what a life of meaning and significance will look like because... He just sees differently than we do. So beautiful, Kelly. Thank you so much for calling us closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, that's truly what a significant life is, is all about. Mm-hmm. Being a significant woman is all about. It's not about achievement or fame or bank accounts or stamps in your passport, but it's about knowing Jesus. So Kelly, as you know, the name of my podcast is the Significant Women Podcast. So I can't let you go without asking you, who have been the significant women in your life? What role models have really mm. created the heart of who you are today? Mm. I love that question. Well, the first would be my mom, um, who's just uh, content with the life God has given her. Uh, she's a woman of joy and contentment. And uh, even as she was raising us, said all the time, being a mom is the best. And just, I I will never, now that I'm a mom myself, I think about that often. What a powerful thing it is to um, choose contentment as a mom, which is hard to do. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of heart in mothering. And uh, I think I am the healthy human being I am today because I was around her presence. And it felt like, you know, the, the warm sun with a plant growing underneath it. It's like, my mom was just content and she didn't center her life around us. She was very happy when we went to school and she had a break, you know, but she just, she enjoyed us and she uh, enjoyed the Lord and a simple thing, but something that's made a huge impact in my life. And then there are a couple other women, my first Sunday school teacher, um, who when I had a thousand questions about the Bible, realized that this was not an inconvenience to her Sunday school class. What she was seeing was an interesting God growing in a little junior high heart. And she fanned that into flame and took time after class to just answer my questions and even uh, fuel that even more with just it. And she stayed in my life even after she was no longer my Sunday school teacher. And then I have another woman that comes to mind who, um, a mom of six, who I just spent time at her house. Her husband was really mentoring and shepherding uh, my husband and I through our engagement season. But again, she was a woman of contentment and was fully uh, at the Lord's disposal. That was something I feel like I really witnessed in her was, God, I have my things I'd like to do, and I'm telling you about them. But as things entered into her life that were not what she planned, she was so free in the Lord and enjoyed Him that her hands are really open around every other circumstance because she was clinging so tightly to Him. And what I saw in her was, uh, gosh, I I wanted that freedom, that sense of, as long as I have Him, I'm okay. 
So those are, there's more women, but those three really shaped me and have become women I want to be like even now. Yeah. You didn't say Olympic stars or movie stars mm -hmm. or entertainment right. gurus. You said women who were living for the Lord, humbly That's for right. the Lord, giving him their all. Uh, Kelly, do you have a, a favorite Bible verse, a, a verse that just is your is the anchor of your soul? Mm. Oh, man. Philippians 3 would probably uh, be up there for me where it says, uh, I consider all things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for, whom, for whose sake I've lost all things. That Paul, you know, talk about an accomplished Christian, you know, I mean... The number of churches he planted, most of the New Testament exists because of his faithfulness to write, to encourage believing, you know, new believers in their faith in these new churches. But yet he looks at it all and says, compared to just knowing Jesus, just mm -hmm. friendship with Jesus, it's mm -hmm. all nothing. It's garbage. It's rubbish. It's trash by comparison. That's how amazing it is to just know Jesus. And that has been something I've then taken and gone, all right, Paul, I want to take you for your word for it, that if that's all I accomplish in this life is a deep walk with Jesus, you're telling me that's the prize. Yeah. That's that's the good stuff. Uh, everything else doesn't really matter. So those those few verses have been something I'm trying to walk out and cling to. And then I've even, for my life, as far as how I serve others, my family members or people in my own church, how can I convince as many people as possible that nothing compares to just knowing him? That's it. So, mm-hmm. Love it. Well, before you go, Kelly, would you just take another minute and pray for us? I would love that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful for a chance to talk about how great it is to know you. It really is. I mean, that's what we had in the beginning in the garden with you is just unhindered fellowship with you. And that's what you came to restore, tearing the curtain, allowing us that access back to be friends with you again. And that's what you'll bring even further when you come back and we get to see you in the flesh and know you. So I'm just really thankful to talk about these things. I pray for anyone listening who has a deep sense of unfulfilled longings. Maybe their life hasn't turned out how they wanted or they just feel this deep ache to do great things for you. God, I pray that they would know those deep longings are from you and meant to be fulfilled in you. And I pray for courage to take those longings to you and to take all the disappointments to you and all the fears and, and uh, concerns they may have. Um, God, would you give courage to each person listening to come honestly before you and, and bring their whole heart to you with all its longings and all the fears and that you would meet them as they wait on you and spend time with you. Uh, God, I pray that you would reframe all of our minds and imaginations to how we even think about what matters in this life and what is significant and what is uh, truly great and truly impactful in this world, would you give us your definitions and not the world's and help us to really live lives of significance in the truest sense. Uh, we really need you to shepherd us in that and uh, to help us along the way. So God, encourage us that um, just staying close to you, you promise that anyone who is abiding with you, that our lives will bear fruit, even if it doesn't feel fruitful. As long as we stay with you, we're like a branch connected to the vine and we will bear fruit. So thank you, God, for each woman right now clinging to you, the vine. I pray that she would know that her life is fruitful because of that. Thank you, Jesus, that you want to partner with us and use us and walk with us in this life. It's just unbelievable that we get to do life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you so much, Kelly. I've loved our conversation. What great food for thought for all of us. Thanks for calling us to know him. Thank you so much, Carol. It's been such a joy. Okay. I don't know about you, but I need to change some of my habits. I need to change my focus on life. I don't want to just do. I want to be. And Kelly has helped us with that today. If you've been encouraged in any way by today's episode, would you take the time to leave a review or a rating? And don't forget, you can always listen to all of my podcasts on my app, which is Carol McLeod Ministries. Just go to the app store and download it. It's totally free. On our app, you can join a Bible study, read a blog, listen to a podcast, leave a prayer request. We'd love to connect with you there. And you can connect with Kelly Needham on social media and at her website, which is Kelly Needham, N-E-E-D-H-A-M dot com. And really be sure to purchase your own copy of Purpose Fooled. Why chasing your dreams, finding your calling, and reaching for greatness will never be enough. This is a book that you will read over and over again. It'll be the foundation for a new way of living with you. Okay, let me tell you something before we close today. Did you know that less than 10% of Christians read their Bible on a daily basis? Wow, that takes the wind out of my sails. My heart aches for Christians, for people who haven't made reading the word a part of their daily discipline. I often tell myself, Carol, you don't have to read the Bible. You get to read the Bible. I am a different woman because of what scripture has placed in my soul. So today in closing, I want to read you a scripture from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Let me read it to you. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. My friend, God made this life a mystery in so many ways, didn't he? And I don't really need to solve the mystery as much as I just need to spend my life knowing him. What he has made perfectly clear to us is that we are not a product of what we must accomplish, but we find purpose in relationship with him. So turn off Netflix, shut down your smartphone, open your Bible. Okay, you can turn your smartphone back on to listen to worship music and spend time with Jesus, knowing him is the highest call of our lives. There's nothing like it. I'll see you next time on the Significant Women Podcast.